I want to say that it is good to be with you this morning. We're glad to be here. Grateful to have an opportunity to share God's Word with you just a little bit. I uh, wanted to give a little bit of an update on, on the goings-on around our house. It's been, it's been kind of a weird year, and I guess to say the least, and I don't have to tell you all that. But uh, I did the open-heart surgery thing, and I enjoyed it so much in February that I did it twice. And uh, I even had a little nurse that asked me about it and said, did you have a heart attack? I said, no, it's elective surgery. And, and, and she thought, boy, this dude's out of his mind, you know. Uh, I know uh, I'm doing a lot better now and all that. I never thought of myself as old until after that surgery. I'd been sitting around the house. Bev was at work, and everybody was gone, and I got bored, and I decided, of course, I'm taking painkillers. And I decided, I'm going to walk around the neighborhood. And so I got me a, my walking stick, and I headed out by myself. And, of course, Bev was not a happy camper when she, you know, found that out. One of the brethren at church said, you weren't the only one on narcotics. Y'all just didn't bump into each other. <laughs> you know? And I realized I was old when my daughter, Melissa, who's with us this morning, said, if you do that again, we're putting out a silver alert. You know? And so if it shows up on your phone, come find Brother Marlon, because you know? I'm wandering around the neighborhood a little bit. Brother David asked me, said, uh, are we going to hear the sermon we heard when we were in Denton? And, uh, and the answer to that is, you've heard this sermon before, but you know them songs y'all led? <laughs> I heard them before too, and I'm with James Ludicky. We don't do reruns, Craig. Uh, we do greatest hits. And so that's what we're going to do this morning a little bit. I want to talk about peace in our lives because I, I put this together for, for this year especially because there's lots of turmoil going on in people's lives. And it seems like we have a hard time being at peace uh, in our hearts. And, uh, and we're, we're disturbed, and there's a lot of things happening. We're in election year, as was mentioned. I don't know what's going to happen with the election. Uh, I don't know what it, uh, if, if the country is really going to change as drastically as we're told that it's going to change. I, surely it can't be as bad as it was in the Roman Empire. And those guys still found a way to have the peace of God that passes all understanding. But I don't know what's going to happen with all that. There are some things. There's an old poem that people hang on their walls sometimes. And it said, Lord, give me the courage to change the things I can change. Give me the patience to accept the things I can't change. And give me the wisdom to know the difference. You know, there's not a whole lot we're going to be able to do about a lot of the problems in the world. You know, we worry about China. We worry about Russia. We hear about all that in the news all the time. Years ago, back in the 60s, the chief of staff was talking to the attorney general. And the chief of staff goes, why do these people hate us so bad? And the attorney general goes, the only thing I can figure out is we have Tupperware parties. <laughs> and that, if you don't know what Tupperware is, you'll have to, you won't get that one. You'll have to Google that one and see what it is, you know. I don't know what's going to happen in the world. I don't know what's going to happen in the country. And there's things, folks, we just cannot change. We're going to have to turn those over to the Lord. He says he sends the rain on the just and the unjust. We're just going to have to accept some things. Now, if you live very many more years on this earth, you're going to be older. You're going to start to have health problems. Things don't work the way they used to work. It's just a fact of life. I tell people, you know, I have a hard, I've got a giant print Bible right now that I have a hard time seeing. I don't see well anymore. I make up for it by not being able to hear. And so, but that's just the way things are going to go. And as we get older, we're going to have those things. And we have to accept 
Some things is just being the way it is, and we can't do anything about it. If China decided to, to do something and, and start a war or something, what can we do about it? Not, not a whole lot, is there? In the Roman Empire, they couldn't do a whole lot about the government then either. But they still could have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Now, there is another problem with having peace and turmoil in our life or the difference in peace and turmoil. I think a lot of times when we have turmoil in our life and confusion and, and all that, it's self-inflicted. In other words, we could have done something about it. It's choices or decisions that we have made in our life that have caused us to get away from God and from his word. And those things cause turmoil and they cause restlessness and they, they, cause, they cause us to have problems. My father worked on the moon. He worked for a company that was contracted to NASA in the late 60s. And uh, I remember when the, <laughs> living proof, I am, I'm living proof, intelligence skipped a generation you know, but at any rate, he, he, he worked on that moonshot. And I remember when they landed up there, they called it the Sea of Tranquility. Tranquility, peaceful. Humans hadn't touched it, I suppose, and until then, unless you believe the History Channel with the ancient astronauts. But other than that, nobody's been to the moon, so to speak. You know. They called it the Sea of Tranquility because it was a quiet and a peaceful place. We can have tranquility in our lives if we do the things God has told us to do. And I want you to go to Luke 9, 52. And I want you to stay with me on this. I'm not off the rail. The wheels haven't come off the machine yet. They, they will before it's over. But verse 52, and he sent messengers. That is, uh, that's Luke 9, 52. And he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him because his face was though his, he would go to Jerusalem. You know, normally when we get this story of the Jews and the Samaritans, you know what we normally get? We get the, we get the Jewish standpoint. You know, Jesus told the story of the, the good Samaritan that did good unto the man that had fallen among the thieves. These people didn't like each other. They didn't get along at all. But you know what? It wasn't a one-way street. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews either. And Jesus, they knew he was determined he was going to Jerusalem. The, the events of the scriptures are fixing to be fulfilled. And the Messiah is going to Jerusalem. And they didn't like it. Verse 53. And they did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord... Wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them even as Elias did? And he turned and rebuked them and said, You know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. And they went to another village. I would like to tell you that I would have been like the Lord on that. But that is not my nature. I'm with James and John. Lord, let's just bring down fire from heaven. Let's burn these guys to the ground. I would have been angry about it. I tell the story sometime when I go door to door and we knock on a door and somebody comes out and they don't want to talk to us and they're kind of rude. And I walk away and my thought is this, and it's pretty close to this. My thought is this. One of these days, these people are going to stand before God and they're going to say, but we never had a chance to hear. And God's going to say, you know that little fat dude I sent to your door? It wasn't the Avon lady. 
But the same thing James and John were doing. Jesus didn't come to destroy men's lives. He came to save them. But we're going, hey, I don't like the way they treated me. I don't like the way they did. Let's burn them to the ground. Oh, and by the way, Lord, I could have added to this story. <laughs> this is not a real big town. All you got to do is burn this little village down. The rest of them, <laughs> they'll get the message. You know what I mean? Let's just take care of this little bitty village. And the next one we go to, I'll bet they'll be friendly. What do you want to bet? That's not the way the Lord works. The Lord didn't come to destroy people's lives. God is not this creature that is sitting on a throne just waiting for you to mess up. God is not sitting there going, I want you to mess up, and that way you can be lost. It doesn't work that way. For God so loved the world. Remember that verse? Jesus didn't come to destroy, but to save. It's a sad thing. It's a sad thing when lives are destroyed. In Isaiah 53 and 5, you're going to read about by his stripes we were healed and our peace was upon him. I like the way Isaiah put that, our peace is upon him. And I'm going to tell you why, folks. I'm going to tell you why I believe he said that. It took me a lot of years to get here. I'm sorry I'm slow to the party. You will never have peace in your life unless you have God in your life. You will not find it in the world. The flesh cannot be satisfied. There's never enough with the flesh. The other day, well, since we've been in Amarillo, we've eaten one meal. Started when we got to the city limit sign, and it's still going right now. In fact, we're going to continue that one meal here in just a little bit. And, you know, we walk out of the restaurants and we say the same thing. Oh, I'm not ever going to eat again. And then go, where's that crunching munch snacks we got in the car, you know? The flesh cannot be satisfied. It will always want more and more and more. And that's the problem with the flesh. That's the deceit of the devil. That's the lie the world will tell you. You're not going to... I always like John Lennon of the Beatles. Now, this and here you didn't hear. I always liked John Lennon of the Beatles. I always thought he was a great musician. I liked their music. Now, I know that my older brethren, when I come into the church, they weren't crazy about the Beatles, but, but we did. But he wrote a song called Imagine. And, you know, I like that song. I like the way he sings it. I like the tune. But, you know, part of it is imagine there's no religion. Really? What do you think you would have if there was no God? What do you think your world would be like if there's no Savior? Now, I'm going to tell you something, folks. Life is going to come to an end. It's not a matter. There was a guy who went in and talked to his lawyer. And he was doing a will, and he said, if I die, I want you to do this, and if I die, I give that to my wife, and if I die, I give that to my kids, and the lawyer put his pen down. And he said, listen, buddy, it's not if you die. When you are dead, what do you want me to do? Now, there's reality coming home, and that's where the rubber meets the road. It's not if, it's when. I want you to know that. And it may be many years from now. I know when we're in our 20s and, and teens and all that, we're bulletproof. I used to could leap tall buildings in a single bound. Yes, I understood that. I know we think we're bulletproof because I see the way we drive up and down these roads. Do you know that in Amarillo, that you could be in the far right-hand lane on three...
six-lane road, three lanes going our direction, and you need to make a, an exit on the right-hand side, did you know that you can go across all three lanes of traffic like that and get there? I didn't know that was legal. In, in, it's not legal in Sherman, but maybe it is in Amarillo because I saw it all the time. Or maybe people in Amarillo, just, or maybe the folks visiting Amarillo don't know where the exits are. And we go, You know how close people come to eternity there? You know, sometimes they don't make it. And people go into eternity. Eternity's waiting. You can face that. Our peace is upon him. Now, the fulfillment of that is in 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23, when he talks about by his stripes we are healed. Because of him, you and I will, I want you to listen to this, we will never do enough to, to save ourselves. We will never do enough to get into heaven on our own. You just can't do it. I don't care how good a person you are. And we like to think we're pretty good people. And I think for the most part, we are good people. But it's him that's going to get us there, not us. Jesus in, in Luke 17, he said, after you, about verse 7 to 10, after you've done all that you can do, say we're an unprofitable servant. You're still going to have to have something that makes up the difference. Our peace, our, our able to sleep at night and not worry about eternity is upon him. And without that, you're never going to have it. That's the point. Without God, without God in your life, you will never find peace and contentment and tranquility. It just won't happen. Proverbs 28 and 1, one of my favorite verses. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Do you know what that means? Do you know what the wicked flee when no man pursueth means? That's a guilty conscience. Now, you know, there have been times that I've seen folks and I've even been there myself a time or two, when the invitation is offered, and no, I need to do something. I need to become a Christian. I need to have the Lord in my life. I need to get right with God. And you know, it really, that word stings. That conscience is pricked. It's bothered. And I hold on to the back of the seat for dear life. Very first lady I ever baptized uh, when I went to the work in Houston came to me and said, Marlon, I want you to baptize me. And I said, sure. And I said, but you've been a member of the church for 40 years. She goes, I've never obeyed the gospel. 40 years. I go, well, what have you been doing for the last 40 years? She said, holding the back of that pew, or chairs as the case may be. Why? But eternity was near, and she wanted to make her calling and election sure, and she obeyed the gospel. And I'm glad that she did. You have a guilty conscience? You always have to look over your shoulder? Who's going to find out? Who's going to know? God can take care of that. God can take care of that. You know, I think it's interesting with King David. After all he did and all the horrible things he did with Bathsheba and with Uriah and all that, in Psalm 51, he talked to his God and he said, Against you and you alone have I sinned. That's the one that matters, isn't it? You will never have peace without God. Proverbs 12 and 20, Deceit is in the heart of the evil, but the counselors of peace is joy. When men stand up here on your Sunday mornings and your Sunday afternoons,
your Wednesday night, and they open this book to you. Now, I have a saying, and Bev doesn't really care for it, but I like it, So, and since I'm the one preaching, I guess I can use it, you know, but Bev is here. You know, I didn't write it, folks. I just read it. These aren't my words. It's not my idea. It wasn't my thought. This is the Lord's stuff, and when these brethren stand up here, whether you find them interesting, whether you find them exciting, whether you find them boring, when they open that book and they are reading that to you, that is the Lord speaking. Because they didn't write it either. They just read it. And when you turn down an invitation, you turn down a chance to be saved. You turn down a chance to get your life right with God. You hadn't walked away from the, the fellow standing up here. That used to bother me a lot. I read, I read the words of 1 Samuel. Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like everybody else, according to 1 Samuel chapter 8, the end of the chapter. Samuel cried all night. He cried his eyes out. And in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 8, he said, Give them a king, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. They weren't rejecting Samuel. Now, Samuel got his feelings hurt, and sometimes preachers do. Maybe that's just being a human. How dare you tell me no? <laughs> God that reigned over them. You need to make a change. You walk out that door, you haven't rejected Marlon. You haven't rejected the brethren. You've rejected God that he should reign over you. You need to think about that real long and real hard. A definition of this piece is freedom from disturbance and tranquility. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Jesus in the Beatitudes talked about something that every congregation, every family, every relationship needs, and there's not many of them out there in the world. I want you to know that. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do we make peace? Do we seek peace? Are we peacemakers? I'm going to tell you something, folks. There's an old saying, and I want you to know it's true. It's true in the business world. It's true in the politic world. It's true in the church world. If you're not part of the solution, you are part of the problem. You a peacemaker? You always got to have your own way? I've heard this stuff. My dad preached before me, and my dad had a saying that my mom hates. And he would say, you know what, boys? He'd get up and preach to the congregation. He goes, if I rub the cat the wrong way, let the cat turn around. <laughs> I've heard it said, if I, I'm going to cut the wood and we're just going to let the chips fall where they may. I want you to know this attitude of my way or the highway is unscriptural. It is not godly. Elders are not to be self-willed. That means I've heard young men say, I can't wait to get to be an elder Oh, yeah, bless your heart. I can't wait to be an elder because then I can do it my way. Good luck to you, pal. Is that the attitude we have? That's self-willed. The elders I know and the ones I'm around all the time, the last person they think about is themselves. In honor, preferring one another, Romans 12.
You know what that means? It means if I can let you have your way, I need to do it. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I'm not a business meeting guy. Never liked business meetings. I actually believe that if <laughs> Moses was a business meeting, he'd still be in Egypt. I guarantee it. But you never noticed you can have a business meeting? I used to go to business meetings when I was a kid because I loved to watch the fight. There would always be one guy that wants to hold up the whole works for everybody. I suggest you read 3 John sometime, brethren. I really do. Had an old preacher tell me one time, 95% of our problems are things that aren't in the Bible anyway. And that's truth. Read about diatrophies there in 3 John. See what God thinks about that. And maybe we need to be more of the peacemakers. In 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 13, Paul gets on them for having divisions among them. He said, it's been reported to me of the house of Chloe that you have divisions among you. And he said, some say I'm of Paul, some said I'm of Cephas, some say I'm of Christ. Later on, Paul said, these things have I in a figure, that is just using an example, have transferred to myself and Apollos. In other words, I use me and Apollos as examples that men should not think above, above that people should not think of men above that which is written. I thought, and all these years, you know, every now and then I think I've seen it all. I, there's not anything you can come up with I hadn't heard. There's not anything you can come up with I hadn't seen before, but they took me to visit a fellow one day. And this fellow looked at me and said, I want you to know right now I'm a Paul. I thought, you got to be joking me. I go, well, what about the verses that are in red? thought we ought to keep it simple here. You know what I mean? Hopefully he had a red letter edition. Maybe he didn't. I don't know. He said, I don't listen to the words in red unless Paul said to. I go, how did you get to that point? And he said, Paul went to the Gentile. I'm a Gentile, and I'm not listening to anybody that's Jewish or anybody that went to Jews. I'm of Paul. And I said, you know, we're not going to be able to work together because I'm of Peter. You know, some people, you got to hit them with a brick. You know what I mean? You just flat got to get their attention. I thought, and it just right over his head. He goes, well, I don't doubt you're a Peter. I'm a Paul. And we left it like that. That's the exact wording of 1 Corinthians 1. I mean, word for word, except in violation of it. Paul goes, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Division defeats peace. And I want you to know it doesn't just defeat peace in our churches. It will in our congregations. And I tell my brethren all the time, I want you to know, I got great confidence in you guys. I do. There's not a war we can't win. The atheists aren't going to stop you. The government's not going to stop you. The economy's not going to stop you. Disease and pestilence, they're not going to stop you. There's only one war we can't win, and it's a civil war. We need to be careful about that. We need peace in our congregations. We need them in our homes, with our brethren, with our marriages. In marriages, we need to become one. Until a couple becomes one, the way the Bible tells them to do it, they're not going to have peace in that house. It's going to be a house full of turmoil. 
It's not going to be a good place. Division causes peace. And most importantly, we will not have peace with God. Isaiah 32 and 17, the work of righteousness is peace, quietness, assurance forever. Isn't that great? The work of righteousness is peace, quietness, assurance, and for, forever. Isn't that what we're seeking? Isn't that what we really want in our lives? No wonder Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. The world is not a restful, peaceful place. It's just not, and it never will be. It never has been. Only with God are you going to find what you need. Now, I'm going to give you something, folks. In the book of 1 Peter, I love these verses, chapter 3, verse 8 to 12. I want you to know peace doesn't just happen. By nature, we are not peaceful people. That's not really our nature as humans. That's why we've got to become like him. In 1 Peter 3 and verse 8, Finally, be ye all of one mind. There's that division again. Having compassion one with another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. You know sometimes why we have problems in our marriages? We're just flat rude to each other. Now, we weren't rude when we were dating them, or they would have never said yes. I want you to know that. But sometimes husbands and wives are just rude to each other. We have problems in churches because we're just rude to each other. We're not courteous. We have problems with people at work. Because we're just rude to everybody. He said, be courteous. Now, we tell the little ones, use good manners. Use good manners. My youngest granddaughter was riding with me and Bev, and I used the word stupid. Somebody did something in front of me. There's lots of stupid people on the highway. I want you to know that, just for the record, if you're scoring at home. And I said, boy, did you see that, Bev? That was stupid. And this little, she's sitting in her car seat in the back, and she goes, Granddad, that's a bad word. And I said, you know, honey, you're right. That's a bad word. We went a little further, and I guess she wasn't happy. And she said, Granddad, we don't say bad words. And I thought, you know, honey, you're right. We don't say bad words. And she still hadn't got a rouse out of Grandma yet, but this next one did. She wrote a little further, and she goes, Granddad, if you say bad words and I hear them, I could repeat them at any time. <laughs> but you know what caused Granddad to say that word? Wasn't courteous, was he? Wasn't a courteous, friendly driver. We, we don't do that all. That's not our nature. That's my point. We've got to learn to be just be courteous with each other and quit being rude to each other. Not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing. Knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. Now, I want you to get verse 10. Here's the secret to the whole thing right here. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil let his lips, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Seek it? It's not going to just happen. It's not going to just become natural to us. We're going to have to seek peace. We're going to have to work at it. We're going to have to try to make these things happen. Do you want to, you want to love life and see good days? Yeah, we all want a good life. We think the way we're going to give our kids a good life is getting them educated and letting them get a good job. That's not going to work. 
There's more pressure in the corporate world probably than there is anywhere else. Teach them about God. Teach them to follow his ways. And I'll tell you what, then they will find peace. James 3, 17 and 18, the righteousness sown of them, uh, sown of peace. You have to, you know, my brother-in-law is a farmer, lends ranches and farms. They don't just go out one day and miraculously there's a crop. They don't do that. I, they both told me at times, well, I got to go. I won't be able to be available this weekend. We got to go sow. We're going to sow wheat. We're going to sow oats. We're going to sow whatever it is we're raising. You got to work at it. Peace is the same way. It's got to be sown. If you want a harvest of peace and tranquility, sow it in your life. Work at it. To do that, you've got to defeat the natural man. I got one last thing for you. The ultimate peace. The ultimate peace is your salvation with God. Ephesians 2 is a very depressing, is a good word. It's kind of a bleak picture of things. You know what Ephesians 2 says? Ephesians 2 talks about Gentiles. That's me and you, by the way, just for the record. And it said you were without God, without hope in the world, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. That's pretty depressing. We're without hope, without God, aliens from God's chosen people. Doesn't sound like a lot of hope to me. But then he said, by the blood of Christ, you're made nigh. Through the blood of Jesus, you are now fellow citizens. You now have God. You now have hope. You can have peace of God that passes all understanding in your life. Philippians 4, Paul used that phrase, that you can have the peace of God that passes all understanding. Later on in the chapter, he says, in whatever state I'm in, whether he was hungry, whether he had plenty, I've learned to be there with content. Why? How did he do that? Because he knew he was right with God. Are you right with God? I'm going to tell you something. Y'all look fine today, healthy. I hope it continues. Had a little doctor tell me a story one time about a guy from Russia. Lived to be 140 years old. See, I went in to see my little doctor, and he said, Marlon, I want you to know I don't believe people got to die. I said, funny, doc, I don't either. <laughs> he goes, I know what you mean. That's not what I mean. He goes, I knew this guy that lived to be 140, or I heard of him in Russia. And it th I thought about that for a moment. I go, well, doc, what happened at 141? He goes, well, the Queen of England found out about him and brought him to the palace and fed him a crumpet. He never had a crumpet, and he died. Now, I don't know whether the story is you're going to die sooner or later, even if you live to be 140, or don't eat a crumpet. I don't know what a crumpet is. I sure hope we don't have any crumpets at lunch because evidently they're fatal to you, especially if you're 140. Methuselah lived to be 969. That's the oldest man to ever live, recorded in Scripture. But he died. I want you to know, you may make it to 140. But at 141, then what? You are mortal. I am mortal. And this life will pass. 
Now, you, I used to hate it when I listened to old guys like me tell me that life is short. But I want you to know life is short in this, life, in this world. But eternity awaits. The only question you've got is this. How are you going to face that eternity? Are you going to have the peace of God that passes all understanding? Are you going to face it with dread and fear? Because that's what's going to happen when that day comes if you don't have God. If we can help you, come as we stand and sing.